0: Hello and welcome to Mommying, Surviving, and Thriving, a podcast for women that believe in living their best life while working and raising a family at the same time. We discuss how to live a happy, healthy, wealthy, and thriving life while balancing the demands of being a woman, mom, and all-around superwoman. We're here to inspire you with a new perspective And to also create a community of supportive women in the process. Let's dive in.
1: Hello, ladies, and welcome to this episode of Mommying, Surviving, and Thriving, where we will discuss the FIRE movement, which stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. I just was very surprised when I started talking about the fire movement with some of the audience and some family and friends and they were not familiar with it. So I thought it was important for us to discuss it as it relates to our pillar wealth. So today I am happy to have Leslie Batson, the chief wealth coach and rebel at Rebel Rock Wealth. Welcome Leslie.
2: Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate the time to share some uh, information with your audience.
1: Thank you for being here. Leslie, um, just we are talking about the fire and I just want to give a little bit about who you are and your background, because I think you're perfect for this segment. Uh, Leslie okay. Batson launched Rebel Rock Wealth, a strategic wealth consulting firm to teach independent thinking professionals, investors, and small business owners the whole truth about money. She helps them diversify beyond the stock market and implement strategies to design, control, and build the wealth style they desire. Leslie is licensed in several states and serves clients across the country. She loves Hamilton the musical, playing golf, downhill skiing, and taking up space on a sandy hot beach. Welcome again, Leslie. (laughs)
2: Thank you so much. I appreciate the uh, introduction. (laughs) So I gave a brief
1: background about you and Rebel Rock. Can you give us a little bit more of who you are, how did you get started, and what prompted you to create your own company?
2: Sure, absolutely. So I actually started Rebel Rock Wealth a few years ago, back in 2017, Um, Because I was a little disheartened when I went to seek out my own financial advisor. I, like a lot of people went online, I read, I read blogs, I read, um, you know, different websites of reputable organizations, but nothing was really speaking to me and I thought you know what maybe I just need to go see a professional, so I went and found a fee only advisor. Um, paid that nice little hefty fee. And I found that pretty much 90%, 95% of what they were telling me was the same stuff I was reading online. <laughs> mm. And it didn't align with me then. So it didn't align with me to all of a sudden pay someone to tell me what I could find for free online. And so I just realized, you know what? Maybe I just have a different philosophy when it comes to money. Let me just do something else. And so I actually pivoted towards real estate investing. And I am a huge fan of podcasts. <laughs> um, so happy to be on this one. And uh, at the time I was listening to a real estate investing podcast and this gentleman came on and he was talking about these different strategies, how you can um, sort of, uh, how you can um, capitalize or build up money for your real estate investing and also where to put those monies, those cash flows when they come in from those investments. And I thought, wow, I've never heard anybody talking about this. This is, you know, really fascinating for me. So I'm a little bit of a nerd. and so I kind of went down that rabbit hole <laughs> and um, immersed myself in it. And I thought, wow, there, I have never heard anyone talk, talk to me about these different things when it comes to money. I've never, um, and I know if I haven't heard it, probably most of the you know, women in my circle, specifically women, professional women of color, I've never heard any of these things. And I thought, this is something I'm, I'm ready to transition. I was in uh, IT. I worked in technology. It changed I thought. This is the best way I can do this. I can create a business where it's virtual so I can serve people anywhere and from anywhere, have complete control over my schedule, and do something with purpose. <laughs> so that's awesome. really how Rebel Rock Wealth came about. And when I say that you know my goal is to teach you the whole truth about money, it's really just you know kind of what I was mentioning is a lot of the stuff that told, um, that we're given as financial advice. um, it's not to say that it doesn't work, but it doesn't always have us, the investor, the client, the customer, um, first in mind, right? There's always the, you always have to think about what is wall street getting out of this and what is the IRS getting out of this? (laughs) And it's not to say that other people shouldn't make money. They should, I mean, we're all, you know, we all need to make money, but we don't want to get scammed or ripped off, or we don't want to have to pay any more in fees and taxes than we should, right? And so right. I've kind of created, um, based on some principles, created some different strategies that I've, um, you know, helped people implement into either their, their personalized or into their business.
1: Perfect. Well, it's funny, because I think we kind of got started in, in our uh, fire movement or financial independence piece kind of at the, uh, around the same time or the same podcast, I, I guess I was introduced to podcasts actually by my, one of my younger one, well, I only have one younger brother. Um, and it okay. was about real estate. So we okay. we were listening <laughs> to a podcast about real estate and that kind of prompted more of listening, fire finding out more about being financially independent and so that's Mm -hmm. kind of how I kind of got into the fire movement um about two years ago so um that's funny that you did the same thing and that it was the real estate piece that kind of lit a fire under you and made you go deeper as I did too I, I I say I'm um I'd like to do a lot of research. So I am listening yes. to several podcasts, looking at different YouTube videos, <laughs> all these different things when I yes. start to learn about something. So that's how I kind of did, where it was introduced to the FIRE movement. So can you tell us a little bit more about exactly what that means, the FIRE movement?
2: Sure. So the FIRE movement itself. So as you mentioned, it's an acronym. So it's Financial Independence Retire Early. And this is something that is, I I feel like it's pretty um, uh, common or well-known amongst millennials. I'm I'm a Gen Xer myself, but (laughs) um, definitely the millennial and probably Gen Zs are much more familiar with this and have almost taken it up as like a, you know, personal challenge, (laughs) which Mm -hmm. I think is exciting. (laughs) Um, You know, their whole focus is, wow, I watched my parents or my grandparents, you know, work to age 65 or continue working beyond 65 and they work hard. They don't really enjoy what they're doing. They're miserable. They they can't take time off to do the things they wanna do. And I don't wanna be like that, right? For some folks, the focus is maximizing their savings. So putting as much money away as possible and minimizing their expenses. So they wanna get their debts paid off as quickly as possible, whether it's their student loans, credit cards, just any kind of debt that they have, they wanna get that out of the way quickly they can start maximizing their savings. So they cut down their expenses as much as they can and put that money away so that they're not having to, you know, plan for a retirement that's decades away. They're looking to retire in, you know, I mean everyone's different. They may set a 5-year goal, a 10-year goal, who knows. It just depends on, you know, how much debt they have and how much savings they need and all those different types of things. But the whole concept is to be able to be financially independent very early and retire early so that they can do the things, experience the things that they want. They will continue to kind of live, you know, I would say maybe frugally, right. (laughs) They kind of feel like, okay, well, I, if I can, you know, live on, you know, 4% or 5% of my savings, I'll be good. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of the, the mindset, the mindset is trading in all those hours for work saving up that money upfront so that they can have those years to really experience the life that they want to live on their terms.
1: Thank you for explaining that.
2: Yeah. 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 That's kind of how I describe the fire movement at a high level.
1: (laughs) And that's perfect. And I think it's, it's funny because I, as you're talking, I'm thinking about when I try to introduce this to my husband, (laughs) I think I went about it the wrong way because um, of course, like you said, you become, you start researching and, and all these videos and podcasts giving you suggestions on how to do it. So one of the things was like to sell some things that you have to kind of pay down debt or um, just several ways that you can look at getting additional money, right? You may be okay, mm-hmm. but are there other ways for you to pay down your debt, Right. So I, uh, one of the things was to sell some things that you had on one of those online programs or shops. And so I was like, I asked my husband, I said, do you have um, any shoes or anything you want to sell? And he was (laughs) like, wait, what? He said, wait, are we broke? (laughs) And I said, no, I said, no, we're not broke. I was just, of course, like you said, you become this like, nerd you come in and you come that's how I do and so I had to look at it a different way he's still not on board totally um but I'm I'm, I'm creating my own fire movement myself and I think a lot of people when they think about it they're like oh I have to live frugally I have to not do this and that and I think there's other ways to do it um and I know you're going to talk more about that just uh, being yeah. financially sound overall, because I'm not going to be the one to. I'm only going to spend money on X, Y, and Z. You know, you have some things yeah. that you want to enjoy in life, right? It's it's okay. Right. I'm not a Starbucks person, but some people want that every morning, and that's okay. Um, right. that's your guilty pleasure or whatever it is, and I think that's okay. So, can you talk about yeah. just in general, um, as we're looking at the fire movement, what are some ways that we um, particularly women, can look at ways that we can uh, get to that financial independence piece?
2: Sure. Well, let me also start to say that I would say there's a spectrum, right? I would mm-hmm. say there's a spectrum for fire <laughs> because <laughs> there are definitely those like i've I've you know heard the stories of, like the 20 somethings, they've just come out of college. They don't have anything anyways, right? I mean right. they have debt, but they don't really have a lot of things. They're not used to having a lot of things, you know, typically. And so maybe they're a couple, maybe they're a bunch of friends and they go rent a house together. So they're all roommates and you know, they're they're, they're still used to that roommate lifestyle and they're able to save, right? Like they mm-hmm. got good jobs and they don't mind having three or four roommates and not having a lot of space and not having a lot of privacy and socking that money away. And then maybe after a couple of years, they're like, okay, I've had enough of you know sharing, you know, bathrooms with a few people. I want my own space. <laughs> right. Maybe they start house hacking. Like, you know, there's a progression. But then there's some people who maybe didn't even learn about fire until so they were like 35, and they've already got like, you know, they've they unfortunately, you know, had a habit of running up credit cards and. Uh, you know, whatever, right? Maybe they got they have kids. Like, there's mm-hmm. there's only so much that you can cut <laughs> from your expenses because you have you have things to pay off. So, right. I would say the first thing to keep in mind is everyone has a different starting point, and everyone has a different level of tolerance. Like your husband's like, I'm not going to sell my shoes, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, but where? So some people are like shoes. Yeah, I've got ten pairs. Let me sell those. So if there's the psychology to fire and you have to think how realistic is it for you and your household. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and it, and it's a, I mean, it really is a joint, you know, this is like, as you're saying, you can do it for yourself, but you, you know, if you're, if you're trying to do it as a family, you you really ha- both have to be on the same page and get mm-hmm. the kids and, you know, everyone else on the same page, you know, friends have to understand, okay, I can't just go to the Beyonce concert this year because I'm trying to save that $500 or whatever those tickets and food and tra- you know transportation would cost for that evening. Maybe that's the sacrifice you're willing to make for that year, right? right. Um, sorry, we can't go on vacation this year, or at least not like a elaborate vacation. We might have to do a staycation in town. Like there's all those discussions that have to be had if you really want to be part of the FIRE movement because you're just so focused on hitting that target, you know, savings goal or, you know, whatever it is. And so the thing I would say about FIRE, I, I, what I love about it is it gets people actively in the behavior of saving. Something that we do not do enough of at all in, as Americans because we are bombarded with messages 24-7 on every device, on every screen, on every magazine, yes. <laughs> you know, on every bus sign. I mean, wherever we go, someone is trying to tell us to buy something. And it's just really hard to resist that consumption. And they're constantly telling us, oh, you can afford it. We can do these, you know, easy monthly payments. Like, you know, it's like this whole society is built on consuming. And so we have to be so intentional when it comes to saving. And so what I love about the FIRE movement is it is getting you to prioritize saving and paying down your debt quicker. I love that. Um, I also love the fact that it's getting people to think, you know what, I don't want to work for someone else, or, you know, I don't necessarily want to work for someone else for the next several decades. There's a lot of things. I I have a lot of passions in my life and I want to explore those. And I'd love to see, you know, I want to be able to do these other things. I don't want to have to be tied to a desk or tied to a job. So I love that it gets people thinking beyond, beyond that. The main thing I would say is there is a difference between financial independence and building wealth, right? Mm -hmm. So as I mentioned, typically, you know, in the FIRE movement, you're, you're working towards financial independence. And in my mind, that really just means making sure that you're, you know, you don't have any debt, you have some savings put away. And so, you know, you, you can breathe, you can live comfortably. Um, but wealth building in my, you know, in my frame is really about how do I grow and expand and multiply what I have? and preserve as much of it as possible and pass it along to the mm-hmm. next generation. So there's a difference, right? It's kind of really two different paths. You know, you might use different vehicles to get down either, either uh, goal, right? To re- achieve either goal. So the things that I always try to encourage people to think about before they go into fire or any other type of, you know, financial decision <laughs> is to think about what I call the six major wealth destroyers. And um, the first one is taxes. All think about taxes as far as you know our income taxes that we pay because that's really the biggest punch in the gut <laughs> that we feel um, each paycheck or you know whenever we get money whether we're a business owner um, and we have to pay those taxes or as an individual if you're in a state where you actually pay state taxes then there's even more taxes but there's other taxes right think about property taxes think about sales taxes think about you go stay at a hotel what the resort fees and and resort taxes are. There's so many different, when you go fill up your tank with gas, like there's taxes all around us. And so we may start with a dollar, but we, you know, we only finish up and end up with like, you know. That in
1: itself, I think it's a whole separate podcast.
2: Oh (laughs) yeah, absolutely. There's so much I can dive into with that. (laughs) Um, The second thing are fees, okay? So I like to, kind of remind people about the effect of perpetual fees. And what I mean by that is if you have, let's say maybe you have a financial advisor and they're charging you 1% of assets under management, you have a 401k at your company and you may not be aware of it, but believe me, you know, it's not given to you. It's not given to your employer for free, right? If it's property or whoever is managing that 401k plan, there's a fee that they're charging to your employer and your employer is probably passing that on to you. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it may be, one percent, it may be half a percent, but whatever it is, and it sounds like very, very little, but a one percent annual fee that's being charged regardless of your performance. That money is coming out, and you typically don't see it. So when you see that quarterly statement, you know when you get your 401k um, statement, the fees have already been taken out. So you're never, you're not even really aware of what. It's been costing you because they, you know, in many times they're not very forthcoming. <laughs> it's probably in the fine print somewhere, but you're not actually aware of the actual dollar amount of the fees that are coming out of your particular um, account. But those are fees. Those are what I call perpetual. They're annual, ongoing fees until, like, literally they'll be charged until you take your money out of that vehicle. So you want to be mindful of the effect of that. A one percent annual fee could net anywhere from a twenty to 40% loss down the road. Wow. And you don't really realize that it actually can occur. It just depends on the time horizon like how many years your money is in that in that vehicle and the rate that they're charging you. Okay? So fees, we want to be very mindful of fees. And again, it's not like you don't you, you know, you can't expect things for free, especially if you want good service, you you should be willing to pay for that. There's a value that you're exchanging. However, you don't want to overpay. In the in the in the situation where it would cut into your ability to build your wealth, okay. So the third thing would be inflation. So we are living at a time now <laughs> where we're experiencing crazy inflation, right? Um, whether it's at the you know at the grocery store, at the gas pump. Um, for those who are in real estate in any in any way, if you're looking to buy a new home, you're seeing that the cost of wood and other supplies have skyrocketed. that's kind of a supply and demand, but the the, pl- the prices are inflated at this point, even if you're just trying to get a car or appliances because the, the microchips, um, you know, basically production kind of stalled through COVID, they're backordered. so there's like a you know a, a huge um, uh, inflation in the cost of cars and appliances and that type of thing. We have to factor in purchasing power in general, okay? And I like to tell people to think about, remember, like how much did it cost you to fill up your tank 20 years ago? Oh, wow. You know? <laughs> think about that compared to today, right? Like 20, 20 bucks and 20 bucks used to fill up my tank. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Same year. Gas station, Right. <laughs> definitely. Now, of course, I am a different car now and all of that, but $20 is not going to fill up my tank today.
1: Actually, it was $18 I, for me. I, I do remember 18. that because I think about that. I think about that
2: because I'm like, yeah, what happened to, yes, yes. Yeah, so think about what it will be 20 years from now. How far will 20 years go, how far will $20 go 20 years from now in your gas tank?
1: And I think that's, so, a, that's a great point, and because we don't think about that as we're saving, no. as we're um, investing, we don't think about the inflation, because like you said, inflation right now is just mind-boggling, the prices really? at the um, grocery store, like you said, gas, lumber. I know people that were initially going to um, renovate their homes, do construction, mm-hmm. that they have put that on hold indefinitely because it's just mm-hmm. the prices the contractors now are giving them because of the, um, the increase in inflation has doubled almost. So I, I definitely understand inflation peaks that- right now.
2: Yes. And because that part is supply and demand, that probably will, you know, correct itself, hopefully down the road in a few months. But for right now, you know, prices are inflating. Right. And I actually um, am having to remodel my kitchen because I had a plumbing issue. Mm. <laughs> so thankfully, my insurance company is going to replace my cabinets. Um, but I have, to, they've already told me, I'm probably going to have to wait 12 weeks to get my cabinets. You wow. know. So there's anything to do with wood <laughs> or appliance, even in the, the the oven, the range that I ordered, they've said that it may not get until January. Like oh my it's crazy. Goodness. everything is 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 backed up. So so that is kind of a supply and demand thing. But again, just thinking of inflation, if we think of, you know, we talked about gas, but think of what it you know, think of your health insurance, right? Mm-hmm. Think of what you paid for health insurance premiums twenty years ago compared to what you pay today. And if you were you know, a W2 employee 20 years ago, and now you're a business owner today, you know, you're already paying way more. Think about again, 20 years from now, you know, what is it gonna cost to see a doctor? What's it gonna cost if you were to get sick and have to go to the hospital? Like, Mm -hmm. are you putting enough money away? So when we just kind of, you know, touch back to the FIRE movement, um, I appreciate that they are putting, you know, these monies aside, but I also want to make sure that they are factoring in inflation because if they're number one, they're thinking they can live on, you know, four or 5% of their savings a year, (laughs) Um, you know, that's probably going to be small depending on how much they, you know, whatever their target amount was to put away. But if they haven't factored in inflation, you know, they have to make sure that their money is growing enough to keep up with inflation to keep them, you know, being able to pull out, you know, that five percent that they think is gonna be enough to live on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Right. And we have to consider what the cost of we have to consider the impact of inflation. So those are the first three. The fourth one would be opportunity cost. And so opportunity cost means it could be the the difference between getting a 15 year mortgage and a 30 year mortgage. Right. Mm-hmm. What are the trade-offs? What is it actually costing you to do either one? It could be um Do I want to put this, uh, you know, do I want to put this $5,000 into a 401k or do I want to put it into a brokerage account? What are the differences there when it comes to the taxes and the fees? Or do I want to use that 5,000 to pay off a debt, right? What is the cost to to choose either option A, B or C, Mm -hmm. right? There are costs to each decision, good and bad, but there's a cost and we need to understand what they are so that we're making, again, the decision that is not going to erode our wealth. It's going to be more in line with building our wealth instead of cutting it down or destroying it. The fifth one is mindset or knowledge or behavior, right? What do you, what are your beliefs about money? Are you, do you have a scarcity mindset or do you have like a more prosperous mindset? So I wouldn't necessarily say that people in the fire movement have a scarcity mindset. I think they're actively just saving, not because they're, you know, fearful that money is going to run out. They're just trying to live a different lifestyle, which I admire. But I would say make sure you know and understand everything, right? You factored in the, you know, the three, the four things we've just talked about, and you understand like when you've put your money into this particular vehicle or into this particular investment or you chose to do A instead of B, like understand what that means, you know, um, also when we talk about knowledge, like, are you teaching your kids about money along the way, you know, as you're learning, are you teaching them, are they, are you modeling for them what you want them to learn, are you, um, you know, how are you just teaching them about money, you know, are you just giving them money every time they ask for it, do they have to work for it, they understand the concept of saving. You know, there's lots of different things to think about, but it's that number five is really about mindset and knowledge and your behavior around money. And if those things are not, um, you know, I feel I feel like we should always continue to learn, right? No matter what the topic is, and you don't have to be immersed in money because I'm I'm a money nerd. I know that <laughs> I, I I recognize that, um, and that's why people come, you know, to professionals like me but you yourself should always be able to be your own advocate. You should always still have some level of of understanding. Just like when you go to the doctor, you advocate for yourself. Obviously you're not the medical professional your doctor is, but you need to be able to speak up and tell him, you know, what are the symptoms that you're feeling or what are, you know, what, what's happening with you. And, and if he or she says something to you that doesn't seem right, you go find another doctor, right. Or you go look up some more. You don't just say, okay, fine. This is what the doctor said. You would continue to Advocate for yourself. And I say the same thing when it comes to your money. So you you have to make sure that you're keeping up to understand and going to the right sources. I guess that's the other important thing. Go to the right sources to get the right information when it comes to your money. And then the last one, number six, is health. So this is not just physical health, because obviously, if you're not in great physical health, you're probably not going to have the greatest quality of life and you may not live very long to, to, you know, enjoy your wealth. Hopefully you will build some up and you can pass along, but you want to make sure that physically, you know, you're, you're healthy, um, but also sort of, uh, mentally or spiritually. Again, this kind of ties with the mindset one, but it's like, you know, if you are uneasy or, um, you know, fearful about money, uh, or if you're, because there are some people who I work with and they really, there's some, there's something there, but they really just don't like to spend. They would much rather just save and hoard and put that money away. And they don't like to touch it. Cause I think it is a scarcity mindset, but then there are others who they, I mean, as soon as that money comes into their hands, it's gone, you know, or it's gone before it even comes into their hand, you know? Right. And so you have to understand why do you do that? And how can you get yourself to a place where you're serving yourself, you know, in the best way. And I get it. YOLO, you only live mm-hmm. once you know, you don't, you, I, I wanna live today. I don't wanna put off my experiences and you shouldn't, right? I think that's the other thing about the FIRE movement that I think is important that like you should have rewards along the way. You shouldn't just completely deprive yourself of, of things um, because you know, that, that just makes things hard. You know, it just makes it hard, um, but you can plan in or budget in those treats. Like I said, whether it's a staycation or maybe you do treat yourself to that Starbucks, you know, once a week or, you know, you go to dinner once a week, whatever it is, but you do something so that you're still rewarding yourself along the way. But you just wanna make sure that from a physical health and mental health perspective, spiritual health, that you're aligned so that you're not gonna be swayed to make decisions that, you know, are not in your best interest. So those are kind of the six uh, things that I tell people to just think about and consider when you're making any type of financial decision because they all can play a role in how quickly or how slowly you can build your wealth.
1: I think all six are very important. Is there anywhere where the audience can find more information about our, you mentioned the six major wealth destroyers wealth anywhere?
2: hmm Well, they can go to my website, uh, rebelrockwealth.com. I believe I still have an infographic like on the homepage. Um, I've had several clients and colleagues ask me to write a book and I'm like, I don't have the time, (laughs) but I I probably will put it on my list because, um, uh, you know, because we talked about even with taxes, I mean, I could talk about that for an hour. So there's a lot to dive into with each of those. So I probably will put I probably will get a book out, you know, at some point, but if they just wanted to see like an infographic, there is one on my homepage.
1: Perfect. And I know you talked about um, the six of them. I'm gonna kind of focus on the health piece. We don't think, but we'll I always say that, you know, it's part of the the four pillars that we talked about, healthy is one of them, but being healthy is being wealthy as well. And so uh, I think we need to start thinking about that more as, as we kind of go through life and, and make decisions. And part of that, um, I find, like you said, you're going less to the doctor or, you know, there's less doctor, but there's a whole host of things and being healthy or healthier, um, that, uh, can play into, um, the fire movement and just being more financially savvy, but Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you talked also about, um, passing on that. And Mm I want you to talk more about the life insurance piece, because I know some people, Some people are afraid to talk about, <laughs> about that <laughs> and uh, even with their parents or themselves and, and, and not wanting to talk about life insurance or actually talking about a will. Can you talk mm-hmm. about that and how important that is for us um, to consider that and, and, and to actually put things in writing to make those steps to make sure that it's not like you said before, it's not only just about what we're doing today. It's about passing on that to our children, our children's children.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I will say that um, particularly in our community, we have not always had abundance. <laughs> so we've not thought about or lived that way or thought about it. But I tell you, wealthy families are not thinking about the next 10 years or their, or the next 20 years. They're looking at the next 200 years, the next, the next 100, 200, 300 years. They are planning for their children's 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 children. Mm-hmm. And we have to start thinking beyond today, right? We're, sometimes we're just, we're, we're just trying to get to next Friday. Sometimes right. we're just trying to get to the first of the month, right? Mm-hmm. Like we have to think beyond that, beyond ourselves. We also have to think beyond just our, our nucleus family. We need to think broader, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a book called, What Would the Rockefellers Do
0: mm-hmm.
2: by Garrett Gunderson. And I try to encourage as many people to get that book as possible. It's a very easy read. I think it's 120 pages. Um, and he kind of talks about in this book how we all know today in 2021, we've all heard of the Rockefellers. We've all heard of the Vanderbilts, right? We all know those names. but the And we think of them as very wealthy families. Um, if we look at the Vanderbilts, their empire started, which I won't go into all the details, but their empire you know, started in uh, the 1800s and they were very, very wealthy. The first Vanderbilt who built that wealth, he did not really put a plan in place to his, his son who took it over. He kind of just said, well, make sure you keep it in the family. So that was kind of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that son actually did a fabulous job of expanding that empire, that business, but he did not do a great job of teaching his kids about money. Hmm. So it started with like the grandson, basically that generation, they just were all about opulence and they built, that's why we know their names. They built you know, universities, they built museums, they built mansions and they spent all this money doing things. And for those who know Anderson Cooper from CNN, his mother was uh, one of those kind of last, um, she's, from, she's from the Vanderbilt family but the wealth that she built, the wealth that she had wasn't from the Vanderbilt fortune because so much of it had been spent by then. She built her fortune with, um, I can't remember the jeans, but it was the Vanderbilt jeans. I think it was, can't remember the brand, but she built her fortune with those jeans. But she came from that line and you would think 200 years later that she would have you know, all this wealth that had been passed on, but a lot of it had been spent in, had just been spent, <laughs> consumed. As opposed to the Rockefeller family when the first Rockefeller, he put down on paper <laughs> what his expectations were with his son and the family, and basically made them commit that they would not sell the business and they would, you know, basically keep, you know, the the business within the family and and yada yada yada. So long story short, you can read all this in the book. But in the long story short, is even today the Rockefellers are exceptionally, disgustingly <laughs> rich, right? They are beyond wealthy but it's because they continue to implement strategies where they kept the money within the family. And not that, and they're very, I mean, you, you will always hear their name with philanthropic, op, um, you know, giving and all those kinds of things. They're very giving, but the wealth that they've been able to accumulate just by having say, basically like a family, you know, contract, you know, they were able to build and establish um, wealth generation to generation that will continue because each family member has to basically sign on to this contract. And that's not any, that's not something that we can't do for ourselves. You know, we may start with a smaller number than they did, but that is something that we can build generation to generation. And if we understand how to, you know, you know, not allow taxes and fees and, inflation all those kind of things to eat away at our wealth we can we can do that same thing with our families part of what they did was um it, having proper trusts put in place right making sure that money wasn't lost to the government or um you know lost because it wasn't documented so losing property because you know the family member didn't know that the taxes needed to be paid on that property by a certain date, and it went, it got lost in a tax sale, and you know mm-hmm. all kinds of things that happen in our community um, land that we didn't know that the family owned because we didn't, no one had a title, like no one, you know. Right. So all those kinds of things are things that we can do um, for ourselves, and we just have to know, right? You can't do what you don't know. So if we just start to get those tools in place for our family, we can be able to, you know, pass things on. And one of the tools that you can use to do that is life insurance. And like you mentioned, it can be a really difficult conversation for families to have, but I think it's because our understanding, the general um, population's understanding of life insurance is is what I like to say is incomplete (laughs) Mm -hmm. because most of us only think about life insurance about what happens when I die. And so we don't Mm -hmm. wanna talk about what happens when I die. And everything I kind of just talked about was like, yes, how you can pass on that generation, how you can pass on that wealth to the next generation. But there are so many benefits, ways to tap into life insurance while you're alive, <laughs> you know. Yes. And so I have single people who come up to me, single moms, or just single people with no kids, like myself. I don't have kids, and I'm not marrying, but I have as much life insurance as I can possibly get, <laughs> you know, because it is the, it's one of the smartest places to would I say stash your cash, right? Mm -hmm. If you have, first of all, everybody should have an emergency savings, whether you're in the fire movement or not, everybody should be prioritizing saving. And I mean, prioritizing saving over investing. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that investing isn't important, but the box you want to first check is savings before investing. So meaning you want to have enough money put away that's not at risk, that's liquid that you can access in case of an emergency or it could be a planned or unplanned event that's in the future but that's money that's going to be tucked away and you don't necessarily need to tap into it unless there's you know an emergency or, or a large purchase
1: i'm glad I'm you talking brought to... that up because oh, that's no i'm sorry that that you brought that up because that is a question that comes up um well i want to do it all i, I want to pay down debt i want to invest I want to save. Where should I start?
2: So that's a great question. So I I and again, this is kind of individual, right? Right. Each person's situation is different. But if you have the means, like for some people, they um, you know, they may be a high wage earner, but they still have debt and they want to save and they want to invest. And so there's a lot of options for you. So the main thing is you need to have you need to have more money coming in than what you owe, right? Mm -hmm. It sounds very simple, but there's a lot of people who are not in that situation. They just continue to charge up their credit card or, you know, they continue to to build up this debt. Um, part of it, I think, is, you know, cultural or societal. They're trying to keep up with the Joneses. They they want to do what other people are doing. But even though they really aren't in the position to do it right now, right? Like I said, it may it may mean sacrificing, you know, this trip to the Maldives this year, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe we have to put that off. Um, But in any case, if you are able to, if you still have money coming in, there are definitely ways where we can do both. We can save and pay off the debt at the same time. Maybe we put off the investing until you get breached a certain savings target. I like people to get to the point where they're at minimum, they have three months worth of expenses put away at minimum. And I think COVID, I hope helped to illuminate that for people that you don't know what could happen to you. Exactly. Um, You could lose your job. You could get furloughed. And if that, and you don't know when you could, when you'll get called back if you ever get called back. So you may need to be able to pay for your bills for three months, for five months, for six months without money coming in. That's what I refer to as your emergency fund. That money should be put away somewhere safe, risk free, and liquid. That mm-hmm. is not the stock market, <laughs> right? right? And it could be a bank account. And today we're earning like a whopping 0.1%. Not sure that's the best place. Like, yes, you can get to it very easily, but I'm not sure that's great for long-term growth. When we just talked about inflation, right? Right. Inflation typically is about 3% a year, if not more. So if you're earning 0.1%, it's literally costing you money for that that large sum of money to be sitting in the bank. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have any money there, um, but you really wanna have the bulk of your emergency money somewhere else. And in a cash value life insurance policy, you have guaranteed interest just like you have at a bank, but you also have the opportunity to earn dividends. And if your policy is number one, set up the right way, and with a mutual company that has been paying dividends consecutively for at least the last hundred years, you know, it's probable, not guaranteed, but it's probable that those dividends will continue to be paid. And so you will earn, that money will be safe and liquid and accessible where you can control it and earn more than it would sitting in the bank. So again, you don't need to die for that to happen. This is for you to take advantage of while you're alive, right? <laughs> so just as a savings vehicle alone is why I encourage people, whether they're single or whatever, everybody should have a properly structured life insurance policy. But to your question, as you touched on with health, you know, if you're not in great health or if you have you know questionable health, it may be harder to get a life insurance policy um or maybe harder to qualify for one not nece- like not to say that you would get declined but it might be you know it just might take a little bit more of a process to get it so you want to make sure that you're maintaining your health right and and I also tell people the younger you get it the better because typically the younger you are the healthier you are <laughs> you know um and you like literally you you know 15 days old a baby can get a, a life insurance policy and you can start saving for their education in that policy right so Great point.
1: Um, great point. A lot of people can, don't think about that. No, as they far don't. As the they life don't insurance policy for their kids.
2: Yes. Yeah. There's so many benefits. Another benefit that you can get on um, from, you know, um, several great carriers that I work with is um, it's basically like a long-term care insurance alternative. I'm not, I'm not saying it is a replacement for long-term care insurance, but, um, you know, again, we've, we've talked about um, quality of health and if, You know, we're living to be older and older. I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't know someone who's lived to be in their 90s or even to reach age 100. And with science and medical advances, you know, having us all having a better understanding of nutrition, we are extending our lives, you know, we're living Mm -hmm. longer. And, you know, if we can maintain our health, great. But at some point, we might need some extended care. Um, and if that happens, you know, if you're in your 80s or 90s and you need extended care, do you can you afford that? You know, have you saved up enough of for, to you know cover the cost of a facility or having a nurse come to your home to help you with some of these tasks? With the life insurance policy, there is a rider that can be added where it helps you to be able to essentially you have the option to tap into your death benefit. So tap into the value of your policy sooner to use it towards those types of expenses. So it may mean that you leave you know a little bit less for your loved ones, but again, you were able to tap into that while you were alive to use for your to sustain your life, you know, and your health. Um, so that's something to think about. There is something called a waiver of premium rider. This is where in the event if you were to get sick or get diagnosed with a chronic illness or something like that, where you're not able to work for some period of time they will waive your need to make the premium payments and the, co- the insurance company themselves will make the premium payments and keep your policy in force. So it will continue to grow and, um, you know, earn and, and build, but you, you just won't have to make the premium payments out of your own pocket. They want you to get better. And, you know, when you do get better, you can resume the payments or, you know, if you don't ever get better, you know, they have a process for that as well. But there are, these are the things that I call your living benefits, right? These are the things mm-hmm. that you can take advantage of while you're alive, you know? And probably the most important feature is the loan feature. So mm-hmm. I've been talking about, you know, using your policy as your savings account. Well, that portion of the policy is called your, is the uh, cash value. And it's much like equity in your home. So if you have a home, <clears throat> let's just keep the numbers simple. You, you bought the home for 100,000, dollars. You've had it now for several years. It's now worth 150,000 and you only owe 80 on it now, right? So you owe 80 today and it's now worth 150. That's about $70,000 worth of equity, right? And so you may go to the bank and say, Hey, I'd like to take, you know, get a line of credit. And they may be willing to give you a line of credit based on that $70,000 worth of equity that you have in the home. Now they may not give you the full 70 but they they will basically use the equity in your home to identify how much they're willing to lend you with your life insurance policy it's the same way that cash value in your policy is like the equity in your policy and so the more that it's building up the uh insurance company can say let's say it's the same thing let's say you have seventy thousand dollars worth of equity in your policy or you saved up seventy thousand dollars in your policy um you can uh, borrow against that value in your policy. So borrow against that equity in your policy. And you can use that for the way that I work with a lot, a lot of clients, I work with a lot of real estate investors, but you can leverage the equity in your policy to invest it into real estate or invest it into other things, into you know, other cash flowing um, you know, assets. And essentially those can pay off the loans that you, you know, use to from your policy. So it's, it's basically leverage, right? It's, you know, if you've ever heard OPM, you, you know, using other people's money, that's basically what it is. So your money still stays safe in your policy and it's growing uninterrupted. You know, it's basically just compound interest growing uninterrupted over time, but you're able to um, borrow against that equity to use it to do other things. And so um, is probably one of the, the best kept secrets yes. <laughs> I think that has to do with life insurance that people don't think about so we have to kind of expand our knowledge and understand more and think beyond the death benefit and not we don't have to think about our death even though we, we do need to think about it <laughs> but let's also think about how can we take advantage of it during our lifetime like what's in it for me <laughs> you know like how exactly. is this vehicle better or different from me than a 401k or an IRA or a brokerage account or a savings account. Like they, these are all different tools that you should have in your toolbox. Um, and just understand how they all work together for your benefit.
1: Excellent. Excellent information. I, I do tell you, I did know about, um, the loan against sure policy. And when I found out I was mm-hmm. like saying like, why didn't I, anyone tell me this before? Um, I know. Right. So you you, there's, you there's gave so much um, today beyond the fire movement, <laughs> the six <laughs> uh, wealth destroyers, life insurance, and so much about the life insurance. I do want to thank you for that. So we may have to have you back on somewhere down the line because there's so much, um, sure. you have so much knowledge and I'm glad you were able to, kind of break some things down and educate the audience on a lot, especially the life insurance pieces that I find that people are not aware of, especially the barring and against. And, and there's more to that. And so they would have to contact you directly to uh, to get additional information. Sure. So but we are definitely coming to an end. This has been awesome. I've learned um, some things and I know our audience has too. So, but before we go, I do want you to tell us how can we keep
2: up with you? Sure. So the best way to keep up with me, I would say is go to my website, rebelrockwealth.com. And from there, um, I believe it'll, it'll link, take you to my LinkedIn. It can take you to my Instagram. There's a link to my podcast. I have a podcast called Rebel Rock Money Talk. Um, I will soon be launching, uh, hopefully by January, 2022, I'll be launching the Rebel Rock Money Talk Club, a Rebel Rock Money Talk book mm-hmm. club. Um, and this is where um, people can join, become a member. And this is where we can really um, deep uh, dive deep into different topics as it relates to money people can bring me their situation maybe they're thinking of you know buying a home they're trying to figure out what type of financing should they be thinking about maybe they want to talk about you know some type of uh, investment opportunity maybe they want to think about how should I be planning for my child's college funding I mean it could be anything but I get all different types of questions from clients and I realize I love having the one-on-one you know discussions with them but so many more people could you know don't really use this information to help them with their own financial education. So I'll hopefully be launching that in January, but people are going to be able to sign up on the website if they're interested in learning more about that. Um, but that's where I would point people to is my website.
1: Perfect. So I will definitely personally be looking out for the launch of myself. So I, I'm going to your websites and to um put my information in as well but again thank you leslie with rebel rock wealth we do appreciate (laughs) all of the knowledge all of the information you gave us today
2: thank you so much for having me i would be happy to come back and share more
1: (laughs) perfect and thank you ladies for joining us today until next time
0: thanks for joining us this week on mommy surviving and thriving Stay connected by liking, following, and subscribing. We're accepting topic requests and questions by email. Info at mstpodcast.com. While you balance it all, remember there's only one of you. Stay positive and give yourself grace. We're here to support you in community on your journey to becoming happy, healthy, wealthy, and thriving. See you next week.